So, have you noticed how your news feeds and messaging feeds are festooned with superlatives? Exclamation points proliferate. Even in simple text messages about inconsequential matters. Meet you at three. Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. Having chicken for dinner. Right? And superlatives saturate politics and advertising of every type. Currently our language, I think, is drowning in superlatives, kind of rendering them meaningless. Pressure to generate clicks through headline exaggeration has led to the proliferation of superlatives across the media. X is bad, therefore it is labeled the worst. Y is good, therefore it is branded the best. Some examples from the Internet that I've seen are, are millennials the worst generation ever? Is this the best vacuum cleaner ever? Is this the worst government ever? A new movie was announced as wonderful, outstanding, engrossing, inspiring, superb, breathtaking. Another was the most powerful film of the year, a knockout of high drama, passionate emotion and electrifying intelligence. And another was brilliantly inventive, boldly imagined, fabulously detailed, And yet more was declared a miracle, huge, extraordinary, exclamation points everywhere. Mimicking the standing ovations that now occur at every single Broadway show you have ever been to without regard for the actual quality of the production, we surmise these superlatives are the essential advertising ingredient of our time. Addicted to superlatives, perhaps we hope that a film that is wild and irresistible, dazzling and wonderful, just might rub off because we seem to believe that life should consist of one breathtaking and utterly original experience after another. Of course, you could easily name the politician who perfectly matches our current moment with his use of superlatives, especially in reference to himself. I think he is a perfect cultural match for our moment. Was there ever a time when life was thought to be built on things like patience, forbearance, Forgiveness, compassion. What type of experience would would help us enjoy more of our real lives? Real meaning actual, not an inflated artificial alternative. And if we found that experience, wouldn't that be wonderful, inspiring, outstanding, and deeply, deeply satisfying? This is one way to think about what we do here. 
offering a quietly subversive message about the things that actually matter for human flourishing. The agenda we assert at Christ Church floats under the cultural radar that is otherwise lit with breathtaking and utterly original experiences and personalities adorned in superlatives and exclamations. It seems that our work in here, the values we affirm in advance in this remarkably vital city, compete against the brilliantly inventive, boldly imagined, and fabulously detailed for our attention. Christian New Yorkers can seem to suffer from spiritual ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, constant distraction from the things that matter most. So, for instance, attending to something as homely as regular worship requires a degree of intentionality in this city that is itself rather breathtaking. I'm aware that we wouldn't normally put those two words together, breathtakingly intentional. But that's why I find the Sunday shared experience more genuinely inspiring than most other things we might name. I suppose it's not quite a miracle, huge, extraordinary, but it does come by way of breathtaking intentionality, beginning with the people who committed themselves to building this unusual church on the corner of Park and 60th in the first place, and all the others who followed maintaining the continuous community of faith with their time and treasure right down to this hour on May 21st, 2017, with all of us. Breathtaking intentionality. You probably didn't think of your presence in this sanctuary like that this morning, but there it is. And I recognize I'm preaching to the choir on this. You likely have an instinct for what I'm talking about. After all, here you are. And I say, good for us. This track in my thinking was triggered by the passage you heard Loyal read from Acts, recounting Paul's presence in Athens, the center of the classic Greek learning and culture. The story takes place at what is called the Areopagus, which is a hill next to the Acropolis where the Parthenon sits. It held a temple to Mars, the god of war, otherwise known as Mars Hill. Paul allows how extremely religious these Greeks seem to be given their devotion to so many gods. He finds idols everywhere, even an altar with the inscription to an unknown god, which Paul takes as an opportunity for telling them about the god Paul worships. Now, just prior to the part you heard, here's how this drama unfolds. While Paul was in Athens, he was deeply distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he argued in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and also in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? Others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign divinities. And this was because he was telling the good news about Jesus in the resurrection. So they took him and brought him to the Areopagus and asked him, 
May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. It sounds rather strange to us, so we would like to know what it means. And then this coda. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners living there would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new. And that last phrase, that phrase, all the Athenians would spend their time in nothing but telling or hearing something new, caught my attention. Couple this fascination for anything new with the Athenian propensity to worship at many, many altars, and we seem to have an ancient facsimile of postmodern urbanity. Devotion to the new and worship of many idols. Of course, our idols are not nearly as tangible today. I'm not certain what a contemporary equivalent of the Mars Hill might be. Maybe Bowling Green with the bull down on Wall Street. But from the biblical point of view, idolatry has always been humanity's major problem. Our first order sin, if you will. Our deadly fundamental mistake honoring something other than God, the creator of all things, with our primary allegiance. Often claiming center stage for ourselves, trusting in our derivative powers above all others, we forget that we are creatures only, not the Creator. That's why Paul tells the Athenians that their unknown God is none other than the God who made the world and everything in it, He who is Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in shrines made by human hands, since He Himself gives to all mortals life and breath in all things. In Him we live and move and have our being. Now experience reveals that this most obvious truth is among the most difficult for us humans to hang on to. And so we yearn to be brilliantly inventive and boldly imagined and fabulously detailed, not to mention a miracle huge and extraordinary that will step out of the lesser-seeming path blazed by a man with a cross who has a beat on things that matter most of all. It's so very easy to lose track of that, isn't it? In the land of abounding superlatives and exclamation points. Which leads me to say that the point of this message for those who have managed to make their way to church in a fantastic city with an array of breathtaking distraction comes down to this. When you step back out onto the sidewalk and make your way into your otherwise mundane experience, remember, always remember who's who and what's what. Remember that our God is not contained in any shrine, any shrine to commerce, any shrine to self-fulfillment, or superlative experience, even this shrine, which, as Christian shrines go, is pretty darn spectacular. When you walk back out into your personal relationships, when you walk back into work, 
when you are looking for love, when you are shopping for more stuff, when thinking about how you'll be organizing your lives, when reflecting about what all of the hours of all of your days are finally adding up to, hang on to your first principle. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. The one alone, this one alone, gives to all mortals life and breath and all good things. In Him we live and move and have our being. It's such a small, homely point, isn't it, in the land of exclamations and superlatives. And yet it holds the key, the key to abundant life. 